Thank you, Kathy. That was just powerful. Take your Bibles, please, and find for me the 14th, 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. We are coming towards the end of our study of this uh, f- prayer of Jesus. This was the very end of all he would do in the upper room the night before uh, he was betrayed and went to the cross. Uh, we've been studying uh, this now for, for months, and God has just blessed us tremendously. And now, after Jesus has said everything and done everything that he could at that time to try to prepare his disciples for what was to come, now he leads in a time of prayer. And he lets the disciples see him in the rawness of prayer. <clears throat> in the depths of what he's going through at this time, in his agony, as well as in all of his majesty. And we get to overhear this prayer. That's what this series has been called, Overheard Prayers. We get to overhear because the Holy Spirit so worked in the life of John the Apostle that he recorded every word that uh, Jesus said at this time and, and recorded them, and the Holy Spirit saw to it that they were protected And we have them for us even today to where we can overhear the Lord at prayer even today. Now, as this prayer has progressed, we've seen it naturally divides itself into three different sections. Jesus begins in the first few verses praying just for himself. And we learn some great truths there. And then the biggest body of the prayer, Jesus prays for the disciples right there in the room. We looked at part of that last week. We'll look at the rest of that here this week. And then the final part of the prayer, he prays for those who are going to be believers one day because of the testimony of those in the room right then. And that's us. We'll be getting to that next week. In the process of this prayer, we have, have found four great privileges that are ours because we're believers in Jesus Christ. We first of all found out that we share his life. And I want to go back and re-preach that sermon every time I say that. <laughs> we, we share his very life. We are, we are uh, involved and intricately aligned in the mighty river of the life of God himself. And then secondly, we found that we know his name, we know his nature. Jesus reveals himself and the Father to us more and more as he reveals the name. Now, today we're looking at the third privilege, and that is we have his promises. We have his promises. That's beginning with verse 13. So let's read along in your Bible, there in your device, uh, and, and let's read along beginning with verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Pray with me over the word of God. Holy Spirit, as we come to you, we we stand again in awe that you have so wonderfully and completely uh, protected this holy word throughout all of the years that now we receive it fresh and new we receive it as as it was just uttered and we see embedded in this prayer of Jesus 
for himself, for the disciples in the room, that all of those really have power in our lives as well. This morning, Lord, let us receive the Father's promise. Requested by the Son, may we receive the Father's promises. In the name of He who is the great promise, do we make our prayer. Amen. Three promises come out of this section right here that are ours, that, that the, God the Son asked God the, uh, the Father to bestow upon us, to make guarantee to us, to make absolutely sure of us. And the first promise is this. The promise of the Father to fill them. Fill in your blanks right there. The Father has promised to fill us, specifically to fill us with joy. In other passages we find He fills us with His Holy Spirit. He fills us with His presence. But here the request is, Father, fill them with my joy. Fill them with my joy. Jesus had already talked about this already in this upper room discourse in chapter 15, 11. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full, abundant, flowing over. He addresses it also in chapter 16. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. He's talking about he's going to have to leave them. He's, he knows he's having to go to the cross. He knows death is awaiting him. But he also knows that there is going to be not a substitution, but a transformation to where their sorrow is going to be transformed into joy when they realize his sacrifice made possible our eternal life. Then we also find in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So we have the joy of answered prayer. So Jesus, this theme about joy coming up is not just out of place right here. This is in keeping with the way he's been building all throughout this tremendous prayer. He's been building that the disciples might know joy. Not happiness. Not pleasure. My happiness and my pleasure is totally contingent on my circumstances around me. If things are going the way I like for them to, the day is sunny and not too terribly hot, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. If good things are happening and coming my way, I have, I have happiness. But joy is so far beyond that. Joy is not connected to the circumstances in my life. It's connected to the heart of Almighty God. It's joy in, in the midst of sometimes insurmountable obstacles. We have Paul writing to the church at Philippi. That entire letter, the theme is joy. That, that he is joyous, but he's in jail. He's in prison. He's about to be executed, but he writes to this church about joy. You see, joy doesn't have to hinge on, you know, how good things are going in your life. Joy is anchored in the throne room and in the heart of Almighty God. And that's what made it possible for Paul to write those words, even though, even though he was about to die. And that joy has another anchor, another anchor that holds, and that anchor is in the Word of God. In the Word of God. The Scripture says, Thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah 15. And Psalm 119 says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies, and they are all great riches. Let me tell you where this joy comes from. It, it, where it came from in Jesus' life, 
and where it really begins to invade your life and mine. This joy comes most as you and I are actively obeying the Lord. As we walk in obedience, this joy begins to magnify itself more and more and more. So obedience is the source of joy. So when we go to the Word and we're learning from the Word what God wants us to do, how God wants us to live, the attitudes He wants us to display, what happens is we obey that as we have this rushing over of joy. It's the joy that comes from doing what God wants us to do. Where did Jesus' joy come from? He, he says very clearly, my joy came from me giving your words and doing your works. As he was obedient to the Father and spoke the words the Father gave him and did the works the Father called him to do, there was a joy that permeated his heart and that joy gave him a, a power and an assurance and a peace to look dead in the face of the cross and go right there anyway. Joy. Unspeakable, crazy joy. We all know a joy of a job completed and done well. I hope you've known that joy. I hope you've known that joy of, of having a project, whatever it is, maybe around the house or maybe it's a, a, a project at work, and, and you get onto that and you stay after it and you get it done and, and you've got it completed and it's turned in and you've, you, you've got the check off from the boss or whatever and then you, ah, don't that feel good? <laughs> Jesus had done that. He had done everything the Father gave him to do. He had given out all the words that the Father gave him to give. And now he could receive that joy that would be for him a peace that in a matter of hours now, he would be reunited with the Father for all time and eternity. Joy. So the first promise here that comes out of the prayer of the Son to the Father is the promise that the Father will fill us with joy as we walk in obedience. Here's the second promise. The promise of the Father to keep them. To keep them. Look at verses 14 through 16. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of this world just as I am not of this world. I do not pray that you take them out of the world but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Why is it the world hated them so much? How, why is it the world hates us so much? Well, the, the answer is right here in this passage. They had been with Jesus. They identified with Jesus. And they received Jesus' word, the truth. And you see, when Jesus shared the truth of the Father, when he shared the truth with people, there were so many that they didn't want to hear anything about it. Don't, don't do, I was in an argument with somebody one time and I was laying out some facts and they said, don't confuse me with the truth. That's what the world says. Don't confuse me with the truth. Because, you see, Satan has blinded the eyes of those in this world to where they think, well, truth is something that's relative. It's not something that's absolute. I can make up my own truth. You can make up your own truth. And I'll be faithful to my truth, and you be faithful to your truth, and we're all just going to be real happy. The only problem is it's not true. It's not true. That's not reality. But that's how subtly the great deceiver has deceived the world in which we live in. And they're to the point they're saying, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear the Bible. 
We, we, we don't want to hear the truth. We want to be satisfied with our truth even if we are deceiving ourselves. That's a world. That's the world that we're living in right now. So, Jesus is saying, why does the world hate these believers? Well, they hate them because of the truth. Secondly, this world hates believers because we don't accept their philosophy anymore. We, we don't accept their way of doing things anymore. We're, we're saying, I will not be lulled into sleep by this deception. I will not be hypnotized by all the things the world might can offer. I'm not going to do this. I have been diametrically, elementary changed in my life. I am no longer of this world. I am of the world that is to come. Jesus said, you know, Lord, they're no more of this world than I am. Now, yes, he was flesh and blood, and you and I are flesh and blood. But when you and I came to faith in Christ, something changed deep within us. And that change was, we can never be satisfied by what this world has to offer anymore. There is something so far better for us in the world that is still to come. The Word reveals to us what the world is really like. The Word reveals the deception of the world and the counterfeit of the world. And because we see through that, and we speak truth into the midst of that deception. The world doesn't like believers. The world doesn't like the Word. Doesn't like anybody affiliated with Christ. Now I know there are times that I say, Lord, can you take me out of this world? <laughs> I'm kind of done with all this down here right now. You've been there from time to time, I know. But you know there's a reason why he hadn't done that. There's a reason why he hasn't done that. You and I are here on planet Earth because we are to be the change agents in this society. We are to be the ones who brings truth into this world. Not just saying, you're doing this wrong, but by living it out, we, we bring truth into this world. And the, the desire of our heart and the purpose behind this is the world will see, maybe I've been thinking about this all wrong. Maybe I need to rethink this. Maybe there's something to what these people who call themselves Christians are telling us. And then what Jesus says is, God, they're not of this world, but they've got to live in this world. I lived with them for these last three years. And it's tough to live in this world especially to live in this world, standing on the truth and standing for what is right and, and saying, thus saith the Lord. It's tough to live in this world. So, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to keep them from the evil one. I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. And of all of the 12 words for uh, the word to keep in the Bible, this is by far the strongest of all of those words. And it means, Father, I'm asking you to set a guard round about them. I am asking you to garrison them round about with your almighty presence. They've got to be in this world, even though they're elementary, not of this world anymore. But they are of me, and they're coming to be with me one day. But while they're in this world, keep them, 
protect them from this evil one. If Jesus prayed that prayer, why is it bad things happen to me? Jesus didn't say, Lord, keep them from bad things happening to them. He said, whatever it is the evil one has in mind for them has got to be filtered through the Father's will first. Look at Job in your Old Testament. Remember what happened? Job's a righteous man. And, and Satan came before God and said, you know, God, he, he's a phony. He's a phony. Let me at him. And I'll prove to you that he's a phony. God would not let Satan do anything to Job that had first filtered through God's providential and holy will for him. And God was with him in the midst of all of that. And that's his protection. It's not saying that nothing bad's going to happen. It's not going to say that you or somebody you love won't get COVID-19. It's not saying that you're not going to have horrible things happen in your life. It will, but you will never go through any of that alone. God will always walk with you through that, whatever it is. God is with you. Emmanuel. God with you. Keep them from the evil one. That's the promise, to keep them. So we got the promise to fill them with joy, the promise to keep them from the evil one. Look at the third promise right here. And that's the promise to sanctify them. To sanctify them. Now I can just get so excited and stay right here the rest of the day if y'all stay here. This is such a powerful, powerful truth in verse. But it hinges on what does this word mean to sanctify them? What, what's, what's that all about? That word means to set them apart for God's exclusive pleasure and use. To make them holy. Set apart just for God. His pleasure. Make them holy for their precious use. There's so much here. God the Son is asking God the Father to set these men and, and later women, these men, well, some of the women were there, these men and women apart. Set them apart, make them holy, make them sacred because they have got a purpose. And, and I'm asking you to sanctify them, Lord, to make them holy and dedicated and specifically focused on the purpose that we have for them. Sanctify them. How is that going to happen? By the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Years and years ago, D.L. Moody, a great preacher for so long, used to say this. He said, this, this book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. The first backsliding step that you and I will make is to slip away from God's eternal Word, not spending time in the Word, not being sanctified by the Word. You see, as faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and when we read the, the Word of God, when we receive the Word of God, transformation starts to happen in our lives. We start to be changed by the power of the Word of God that's happening in our lives. We're being set apart more and more as we're yielded to that Word. Set apart for God's good pleasure and His particular use. 
what is amazing about this is how this happens. We are in the world, but we're not of the world, so we don't act like the world. Listen to John 15, 3. Now are you clean, Jesus said, through the word that I have spoken to you. See, when you were saved, you were set apart, you, you were sanctified, you were taken out of the world, no longer of the world, and given specific purpose before Almighty God. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And such were some of you, he given a long list of, of various sinful things, and he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Set aside. And then as we grow in our faith, the more and more we experience this being set aside, being called for a purpose. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You're not your own. One of our cardinal verses that we use so often in, in Master Life and our discipleship and disciple building flows back from Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not me, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. There's... There's the sanctified life. There's the set-apart life. This truth here comes to us in three editions, if you would. We have the Word of Truth, the Son is Truth, and His Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. And each has its own ministry to us. You remember again, and Derek and I have shared this with you on several occasions, how when you look at the disciples' personality, we are Trinity, just like God is Trinity. We have our mind, our will, and our emotions. Or if you please, our mind, our will, and our heart. And we're sanctified in these three areas of who we are. With the mind, we love, we learn the truth through the Word. With the mind, we learn the truth through the Word. With the heart, we love God's truth, His Son. And with the will, we yield to the Spirit and live God's truth day by day. You see, that's the process of being set aside and sanctified. And we don't merely study the Bible to deal with learning new stuff and learn doctrinal truth. No, we study the Word of God to be changed by it. To be changed by it. Learning and loving leads to living. Learning and loving leads to living. When you learn and when you love the one who is teaching you, it changes who you are and how you live. And so here we are. He says, now, Lord, sanctify them. But look, he says in verse 18, I'm sending them out in the same way you sent me out. Okay, 
So what was it that brought Jesus joy? It was sharing the words and doing the works the Father had given them. So he's saying now, Lord, Lord, I'm sending them out to share my words and share my works. That they may be filled with joy. That they might have peace. That they may have purpose. He will say later in chapter 20 and verse 21, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. But the world hates believers, persecutes them. Some they will kill. How are we to go forth in such an antagonistic environment? Let me tell you. It stems here from verse 19. The last thing Jesus said about himself. He said, and for their sakes, without defacing your Bible, I would ask for you to put in the little two-letter word, my. And for my sake, because this is about you, it's about me. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Jesus, Son of God, talking. He said, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart. I set myself apart for the God's pleasure and His purpose that He has for my life. Right there, before He's about to walk out the door, go to the garden, agonize in prayer, be arrested, and taken to the cross. He said, I'm setting myself apart right now. Here's the purpose. I'm setting myself to go to the cross to die for you and to rise again that you might have my very life flowing through you. I'm setting myself apart. And Father, as I set myself apart, I'm going to accomplish how they can be set apart. As he's living his resurrected life in me and through me, I can be set apart. You can be set apart. You can be the men and women of God God's calling us to be in this difficult difficult time it gives us purpose it gives us purpose and that purpose is found by Paul delivering it in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation that's the purpose the Father sent him into the world to make it possible that mankind could be saved. You and I are sent into the world that we might share that gospel message with all who were here. What a prayer. What power. And listen, Jesus is praying for you and me that our joy might be filled, that we might be kept by God's power, and that we might be sanctified for his purpose. Listen. Do you hear him praying? Calling you by name? Before the Father? Father, fill them with my joy. Father, keep them from the evil one. Father, sanctify them. That they might be a part of our Jesus is praying for you right now. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never embraced Him as your personal Lord and Savior, let me tell you, Jesus is praying for you right now. He's saying, Father, draw Him. Draw her. Draw her to the cross. Draw her to me. Draw her to faith. If you're already a believer, He's still praying, Father, sanctify them. Set them apart. 
that this world might hear the message of the gospel through their own personal lives and stories. Time to do business with God, folks. We've heard his word. Now it's time to do business with God. Will you pray with me? Father God, I am overwhelmed that your Son and my Savior, as he was facing the agony of the cross, would pause to pray for those who would run off and leave him, for some who would even deny him, And yet he prayed that, Lord, you would turn their sorrow to joy. That you would keep them from this old evil one in this evil world. And that you would sanctify them because of how he was sanctifying himself. And I hear, I hear that prayer coming down through the ages with my name on it and with these people's name on it, Lord. Father, there's some here right now, they're listening. They don't know what it means to accept you into their heart. But they really want to. And right now, Lord, will you just give them the courage to pray along with me, to let their heart be open before you, and say, dear God, I confess to you, I've been doing life my own way. I confess to you I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Right now, I dare to believe that when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, it was so that I might have your life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Cleanse me and forgive me. I want you to be the boss, the, the, the ruler, the king of my life. I give the control of my life to you. Father, I thank you that you will not refuse that prayer from any sincere soul. So right now, reach and touch. Save and transform as only you can. And Father, I, I want to pray for myself and my brothers and sisters that we can hear your prayer for us. That you are ever standing before the right hand of the Father interceding, praying for us. Can we listen real close and hear your agony as you cry out on behalf of those you love. Father, fill them with my joy. Father, keep them from the evil one. Father, sanctify them to fulfill the purpose for which we save them. Lord, that blesses my heart. And that empowers my soul. May that be true for each and every one of us. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen. If you've made that prayer your very own, as Ed has come to the piano, it's going to be a time of invitation, a time of response. If you've asked Christ to come into your heart, I'm going to ask you in the next few moments just to come and sit on one of our front pews. After we're dismissed, one of our ministers will come and we'll sit and talk with you a little bit. 
Or maybe you want to join our church family. Please do that. Come, come forward and just sit on the front row and we'll receive you there. But now is the time for us to do business with God. If you want to come to the altar and pray, I assure you it's been well cleansed. <laughs> you can come and kneel and pray. This is time to do business with God. And so as Ed leads us in this song, will you stand please? And let's say yes to whatever God is speaking into our hearts right now.